0: Our scripture reading for today is from John 6, verses 25 through 40. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, and I will raise him up on the last day.
1: Here's the main idea. It's actually a fairly simple main idea today, something I want you to understand and hang on to and walk away with. Here's the main idea. Jesus is the true bread of life. Jesus is the true bread of life. So let me pray, and then we'll unpack that. God, we love you. And God, I am so thankful for the way that you're working in our church, God. And I, I know, God, that you're working in ways that we can see, in ways that we cannot see. And so God, I just wanna pray that you continue to have your way, God. I pray that you continue to arrest our hearts with a sense of purpose as it relates to your gospel and your good news going forth. God, we are in the center of this magnificent city filled with beautiful things and very broken people. And I pray, oh God, that today, that what would become more and more clear to us is that Jesus is the true bread of life. God, we feast on so many things that leave us wanting. But God, today, I pray that Jesus would leave a taste in our mouths that satisfies the deep longing in our hearts, God, for you. We love you, and I pray that this word goes forth in power today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is the true bread of life. Well, we know um, from the last couple of weeks that Jesus has got quite a crowd surrounding him at this point in John's gospel. He has a crowd so large, they've gotten so hungry that he fed them miraculously a couple of weeks ago in our sermon series. And then last week, we, we noticed that the crowd is pressing in on him. And so he escapes to the other side of the sea that they are ministering near. Uh, the disciples, according to the scriptures, to get to the other side, got into a boat. You remember the story. My friend Caleb preached it last week and did a fantastic job. He, they got into a boat, and, and then Jesus followed after them as he was walking on the water. They made their way to the other side, and the crowd found their way to Jesus. Now, they're, of course, wondering, how did Jesus get over there? I mean, they maybe have noticed another miracle. What we must ask at this point in John's gospel, if we consider that he is eventually crucified alone on a cross, we must ask, why at this point in his ministry is he so popular? Why are the crowds so taken by him? I mean, this is in the span of three years. He goes from being very popular, so popular that he is, he is stressed or, or, or pushed back by the crowds of people wanting to demand that he become their earthly king. Well, eventually he is alone. So why here at this point in his history is he so popular? Why are the crowds taken by him? Well, it, certainly it has something to do with the fact that he can do miracles. He can do in the supernatural, or in the natural realm, what, what uh, no one else can do. They believed that he was a savior, but they might not have believed that he was the savior equal with God. He was a savior kind of a figure. Now, the people in this crowd, the people pressing in on him, would have uh, been familiar with this idea of recognizing a human being as having a special connection with God. I mean, they might have thought of one of their forefathers by the name of Moses. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Moses in the Bible. This is a gimme. Okay, so um, most of you have heard the, name, heard the name Moses. Well, Moses was a very important person in Israel's history And he's mentioned several times in John's Gospel. And one of the things that he got to do was to go to the Egyptian Pharaoh and say, uh, uh, Pharaoh, you have to let God's people go. You see that Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years to this Egyptian uh, group of people. And so Moses goes and eventually this group of Israelites is let go uh, in the midst of God displaying his power. And then Moses leads them to Mount Sinai where they receive the Ten Commandments. They receive rules also about ceremony and about uh, civil law. And they, they, they get to see Moses... Um, powerfully work in their midst. They, they, they get to hear Moses call down from heaven a provision f- of food for the people, and then, g- then it happens. And so they think Moses is a very, very special person. He is their Savior, in a sense. Do you get that? He's a Savior to them, in an earthly kind of a sense. He's been a deliverer for them. And so this group of people that's crowding around Jesus might have thought that Jesus was a savior in the same way that they thought Moses was a savior. He was one that was going to come and deliver them. Now, they were being oppressed by the Romans at this time that Jesus is ministering. And the way that the Romans oppressed them is that there was heavy taxation, that they were ignored, they, that they allowed other, the, the, the leaders selected from among the Jewish people to, to lead um, harshly over them. And so they, they, they experienced difficulty in their own life. And so they were expecting a Messiah, a Savior, someone to deliver. And here Jesus shows up, and he can do these things that are beyond the natural. So they think he is our Savior. But the question is, did they revere Jesus as the kind of Savior that we are told by John that we are to believe Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. You see, because remember the purpose of John's gospel is so that you would believe that Jesus is a Savior so that you will have life. Well, were they believing Jesus was a Savior in that same way is a very, very important question. So here we are in verse 25. Let me read it uh, again, and we can begin thinking more carefully about it. So when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you come here? They're curious as to how he got across the sea. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, because, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, do you remember in John's gospel, if you've been here for a few weeks, that each time someone comes to Jesus asking for something, Jesus is quick to, 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 to provide for them a rebuke of like, okay. You are asking this of me because you're focused on the external. You, you want wine for the wedding, as we saw earlier in John's gospel, because of some other reason than, than the fact that you want not experience my supernatural power. So Jesus rebukes his mother, which I would never do, um, you know, early on. And then, and then we see, you know, uh, there's, there's an official, a king's official comes to Jesus and asks for healing for his son, and Jesus rebukes him. But the official keeps going on and then Jesus eventually heals him. So Jesus is trying to expose here the the natural desire that exists in each one of us to come to God and focus primarily on the external. We want to be medicated. We want to put a band-aid on whatever the real problem is. And Jesus is saying here, you've come to me because I fed your belly and that's all you want, but I have so much more. Verse 27 says, do not work for the food that perishes. (laughs) That's what they want from him, more food for their bellies. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they say to him, "What what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he is sent. So the people are not yet understanding what it means to believe in Jesus as the Savior. What they're seeking is a bread of life uh, that offers something, but clearly they, they, they are not understanding it the way that Jesus wants them to. They're, they're offering, uh, they're wanting to work for this eternal life thing that, they're, that, that Jesus is mentioning, but Jesus makes it clear that That what he brings to give to them cannot be worked for. Well, their new work is faith in him as Messiah. That is the work of the people. Did you catch that in the very first video? Their work is faith in him. That's their work. Jesus is saying to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who God has sent. He's inviting them to believe that he is God the Son, sent by God the Father. Well, they're starting to get it, maybe. So they they want him to prove himself a little bit more. It's interesting here uh, as we read this and as we experience the timeline of what is happening that they're saying, Would you do more? I imagine he's thinking, I just fed all of you. You want more? You see, they're experiencing Jesus in the the same way that they were experiencing someone like Moses. They were thinking about Jesus in the same way that they were thinking about someone like Moses. I mean, did Moses have a supernatural kind of connection to God? Yes, he did. He did special things for God. And the way that they were thinking about Moses is the way that maybe we might think about Someone in our own time that has done something very unique and special, that it's like they're divine, or like they're connected to God. So let's just think about this for a second. Um, think about somebody in, in music who was so revolutionary that their art, artistry, their artistry um, it felt divine. Felt supernatural. Can you think of anybody like that in music? Just shout it out if you can think of somebody like that. Michael Jackson. Sorry, that's right here in my notes. (laughs) Michael Jackson. So no matter what you think about Michael Jackson, and I challenge you to Google this afternoon, Michael Jackson, Jackson worship, and you will find videos that will blow your mind of people worshiping, by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, worshiping Michael Jackson, believing that his music somehow is supernatural. There's even a Facebook group. I mean, this isn't much of an argument because there's a Facebook group for everything, right? Um, There's a Facebook group that's called, uh, the Facebook page is called Anointed Michael Jackson. Here's what they say about Michael Jackson. Even though we're aware that he's physically human, the wholesome of his existence drives us to believe that he's spiritually divine. So people in our day might look at someone like Michael Jackson in the way that the Jews looked at Moses; felt like he was special. Oh, or okay, so maybe you're annoyed by that Michael Jackson reference. How about another Michael? Michael Jordan. Zori, was that you again? Two for two. You're going to lunch with us. All right, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, Game two, 1983 playoffs. Looking around, some of you are maybe not interested. Um, Chicago's first-round matchup against anybody know who they played? 1983 playoffs. Boston Celtics against arguably the, one, of the, one of the greatest teams ever in the Boston Celtics. He scored 63 points in a playoff game. Now. People might think he's divine. Larry Bird thought for a moment that that Michael Jordan was so special that he he might be divine. Here's what Larry Bird said at the end of this game. I don't think anyone was capable of doing what Michael has done. He's the most exciting, awesome player in the game today. Listen to this. I think that it's just God disguised as Michael Jordan. (laughs) You see, the way that our world, I mean, we have people in our world that we look at them, and what they do is so special. That that we, if they were to walk in a room, we would be stunned by it, right? If they were to try to gather a group of people around themselves, they would easily do that because we think, I mean, maybe you don't, but there are people that think that that the Michael Jacksons of the world, moment of silence, and the Michael Jordans of the world, and Michael Angelos, and all these other famous, well-known people that are that have done something really unique, we might think that they are worth following, that they can save us in a sense. They can deliver us from the monotony of our own lives and, and, and lead us to some sort of other kind of experience. Well, the Jews thought of Moses in this same way, and they're looking to Jesus in this same way. Here's what's happening. They're looking to Jesus as if he's some sort of earthly savior, some some kind of Special being. I mean, he's human, yes, but they think he's special, and so they're going to follow him. But what Jesus demands is that they see him as God. It's different. I mean, we can look at Michael Jackson and believe that he's special, that he has a special connection to a creative God. We can look at Michael Jordan and think that he's special. We can look at anybody else and think that they're special, but they are not God. Jesus is demanding that they see him as God. That's why he's, he's getting into the way that they're asking him questions about things like healing and, uh, and bread and, and food. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you, that, that we may believe that you are who you say you are? What work do you perform? And they recall in verse 31, Moses, who is someone that they see as a special kind of a person. So they're basically saying, can you do what Moses has done? Maybe something a little better so that we think that you're as cool as Moses. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is a reference to when the Israelites were in um, traveling from captivity to the promised land. God provided food for them in this journey, this 40-year journey, where they were walking through literally the wilderness. God provided food for them. Moses was their leader, so they thought Moses was pretty special, supernatural in some ways. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Here is what Jesus is doing. He's acknowledging that Moses is special, but he's arguing that their attention must not be on the Moseses of the world. Instead, their attention must be on God who gives the bread and is giving them a true bread from heaven. So the bread has come from heaven, present tense, in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the kind of bread that gives life to the world. Did you see that in verse 33? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is what people want. Jesus is the true bread. And this crowd of people are missing it. They're absolutely missing it. They see Jesus as someone worth... Following because he can provide them a meal supernaturally, but what they are missing is that Jesus is God, Jesus is the Savior. They're chasing after something that will satisfy their belly, and they're missing the opportunity for their souls to feast. We do that, we chase after. Bread that satisfies our belly, and we miss the opportunity for our souls to feast on the presence of God through Jesus Christ. I want you to catch this, because this is hard to admit to. We chase after these temporary pleasures, and ultimately, what we can do is miss the great feast on the person and the presence. Jesus Christ. So I should give you some examples. And what I'm trying to do here is to get at some behaviors that provide temporary pleasure, but will not ultimately fill the void in our hearts. Now, if you are a Christ follower, you you may not focus ultimately on these things because your ultimate focus should be on Jesus and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But you should know that even after becoming a Christian, you, your, your heart will drift towards these things. They will. You, there's a drift towards these things, which, by the way, is one reason that hearing the word taught regularly and being a part of community and things like home group is so important, because if you don't, you're more easy, you're, you will more easily drift away from the mission and the purpose of God. That's the truth. What, what are the things that we tend to drift towards? Oh, and if you're not a Christian, you're in here, you, you don't... Have not yet repented of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, um, then, then these are the things that you're, you, you are idolizing, and um, they will not lead you to ultimately what you, what you need. So, for these are gimmies. What are the common areas that we tend to to place our to feast on that that leave us wanting? Well, material things, right? Stuff. Is that one for you? Stuff, things. You're upset. You're bothered. So what do you do? You go shopping. You spend more money than you have. And there's nothing wrong with going shopping and, and having nice clothes and nice things. I mean, within reason, nothing wrong with any of that. But it, but it's, it's it, those are, those can be good things. But when the problem becomes when we make those things God, when we not only enjoy those things, you know, but we feast on those things. Uh, how, how about um, something like? These are illustrations of just temporary kind of food. You know, the people are coming after Jesus, asking for more bread, and he's saying, "You're going to miss the like eternal bread." These are the bread, the things that we need from day to day, but they're not going to provide ultimately what we need. How how about just physical pleasure? Um, The kind of physical pleasure that's brought on by things like sex or food. So we 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 enjoy those things. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying you know, sex that's designed by God and given by God for a purpose. Or or food. God provides food to us, but if we are if we're enjoying those things and focusing on those things um, as, as kind of an ultimate source of satisfaction, it'll leave us wanting. Or or, or even human relationships. Do you know that um, no other human being can provide for you what you need in the deepest part of you in terms of relational connection? That that will only be satisfied by a relationship with Almighty God, which comes only when you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ so that your sin is erased and you can be made at peace with God. So we tend to drift towards these things and come to God for these things. God, just give me more stuff. And God's saying, you know, I could give you more stuff, but it's not going to ultimately satisfy you. Or we come to God and go, God, if you just improve my sex life with my spouse or help me to find somebody that I can be married to to have, you know, whatever. Or, or God, um, you know, you, we focus on food or we focus on just, just you know, other people. And God's saying, you know, I could give you all those things and they'll provide a pleasure to you for a moment. But the next day you'll be wanting and you'll be hungry. That's how you know um, if you are... Um, focusing on or feasting on things other than than God is is your enjoyment of these things after it's all over you feel stressed and conflicted you go shopping you spend a lot of money then the next day you feel really really guilty about it maybe it's because you've made it a god and it's failed you your 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 physical relationship with your spouse. And I'm assuming here that you know that the Bible teaches that you're to have sex, man and woman, in the covenant of marriage. You give yourself someone in your heart through committing to them in the presence of God and presence of people, then you give yourself to them physically. I know that's a big assumption. That's in the Bible. But, but when we don't do it like that, we don't do it God's way, or, or we even look to that, even within the confines of marriage, as, as ultimate, as, as being able to satisfy us deeply, Um, we know that that's a God when that is happening, and then we're left wanting. We're left empty. Here's what I want you to know. The only thing that can satisfy you ultimately is Jesus. He is the true bread from heaven. Can I get an amen? Hello, people. If you're a Christ follower, you are looking If you're not a Christ follower, you are looking at these things as satisfying to you. If you are a Christ follower, we tend to drift towards these things. And these things cannot ultimately satisfy. I want you to hear me very loud and clear. It's important and okay to have things that you enjoy. There's nothing wrong with it. It's important and okay to have sex in a marriage and enjoy it. And that's wonderful and glorious and it's okay to to enjoy food okay there's nothing wrong with that but if we're going and looking at those things as a source of ultimate satisfaction to meet the deepest need we have to connect with the divine it will not work and we all tend to drift towards those things Jesus invites us to look past these things to see him as the source of life. Well, this crowd of people, they're getting an idea of what Jesus is saying. So what do they say? They say, give us this bread. Verse 34, give us this bread always. We want to feast on this, whatever you're talking about. So here's what he says in verse 35. I'm going to read verse 35 through 40, and I want you to listen carefully. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them and says to you, I am the bread of life. that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Pretty clear. So I'm, I'm curious, did the crowd follow him? Did they receive him as the bread of life? Apparently not. They began grumbling among themselves, and then the religious people got involved made it worse, started confusing what Jesus was saying. But he does not back down. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Do you get that? He's saying there are people in your life that, chose, that, that that choose to, 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 to rely on ultimately bread, physical bread. But what physical bread does is it doesn't do anything about your eternity. If we focus on the external, it, it, there's no, and we all will die. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. This is certainly talking spiritually. So the question for you in this moment is what bread do you feast on as the source of life? What bread do you feast on as a source of life? Tomorrow when you get up and you go to work, what bread will you be feasting on as a source of life? Is it ultimately God? The offer of Jesus is the bread of life. May we be people, unlike this crowd of people, who hear these words of Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, we want for you to feed us always. And also what we must do, every one of us, I think, can see in our own lives where we tend to drift. We drift to begin feasting and being satisfied by these temporary things, and we're left wanting and dissatisfied and unhappy Filled with chaos, and Jesus is still saying, "I am the bread of life. Come to me, all you are who are weary and heavy-laden. I will give you rest for your souls. you're worn out from feasting on the things of this world. Feast on me. Now let me be clear. This isn't, okay, feast on Jesus on Sunday, feast on your job or material possession on Monday, feast on a relationship with a boyfriend and girlfriend on Wednesday. No, 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 no. That's not the option. The option is feast on Jesus as the ultimate source of satisfaction or don't. Both of them will give you something. One will be a source of life and the other one will be death. What will you choose? Let's pray together. Think about these things.